Chapter Twenty Six of Four Mothers at Chautauqua by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I have something to tell you. Day is dying in the west. Heaven is touching earth with rest. Wait and worship while the night sets her evening lamps alight through all the sky. This was the exquisite song that greeted their ears as they threaded their way among the throng of worshippers at that lakeside service, where earth and air and tender song of mother-birds joined with human voices in calling to worship. Yet Eureka, sitting quietly as one of them, apparently listening to the voice of the minister of God, whose message was for her, if ever message was, yet let her thoughts wander from it all, and busy themselves with that coming interview. She knew it was to be eventful. Burnham meant to ask her, at last, in words, to be his wife, and to that question she had long ago promised herself solemnly that she would say yes. She shivered a little at thought of it. Could she? Stop! She was not to go over that ground. The decision was final. There were other things for her to arrange, matters about which she must stand firm. If Burnham had indeed become that new creature of which certain dear fanatics were always talking, she would not have to mention the subject, but as it was, doubtless he had made some wonderful resolutions yesterday which he believed, poor soul, that he would keep. But one new departure, whether he had included it or not, must be made and lived up to. All that delightful little flirting with pretty-faced, innocent girls must be given up at once and forever. She would tell him frankly that he had never done anything in his life of which she was so much ashamed as his continued attentions to that poor little Hazel, and she was firmly resolved to have no more of them. At that moment she was startled into giving heed to what was going on about her by an outburst of laughter from the audience. The speaker was telling a story, and of all stories in this world for a preacher to tell at a religious meeting, it was about a little trained dog in a circus. Eureka felt scandalized. She made no pretensions, she was counted always outside the circle of good Christian people, but she knew nevertheless what was fitting at a religious meeting. Yet she could not help listening. The little dog, the speaker said, had not done his tricks, and had been unmercifully whipped by his master. In his agony and terror, looking about for a way of escape, he rushed to the cage of the great Numidian lion, and squeezed his little body through the bars. A moment of awful suspense. Surely the dog had gone to his doom. Straight up to the monarch of the forest he ran, and that king of his tribe put out his great paw and gathered him gently inside the circle of his protection, uttering as he did so a low ominous growl to the people outside. The owner of the dog, who had feared for a terrible second that he had lost a treasure, now recovered himself and said gruffly to the lion's keeper, I want my dog. The keeper looked at him for one disgruntled moment, then he said in significant tones, Oh, all right, I'll open the cage door, and you can go in and get him if you want to. 
I tell you, brother, you who have fled for protection from the blows of Satan to the offered refuge, remember that the lion of the tribe of Judah is your protection, and those looking on, if they but understood it, could afford to say to the evil one, Get him if you can. No one in that great company laughed more heartily or seemed to more thoroughly enjoy the story than did Burnham. To his dignified companion this was an added proof that he was the same Burnham Roberts she had always known. The close of the service was reverent enough to please even the fastidious Eureka. The speaker possessed that rare power over an audience which enabled him to turn their thoughts quickly from the story that had amused them to the tremendous truth which it illustrated. But as they made their way out from the crowd, Burnham referred again to the story. "'I want my dog,' he said, and laughed joyously. "'Wasn't that the greatest illustration? I think he is about the only man who could do that sort of thing and make the point with it that he did.' and he very greatly marred his point by using it, Eureka said coldly. Oh, I don't think so, not for me, not by a great deal. I tell you, Eureka, I don't suppose you know very much about that enemy of souls, what a beating he can give you, even when you are down and out. I'm going to be thankful all my life for that story, and the inimitable way in which the application was pressed home. Get him if you can." Eureka, that if is as big as the world. He made only a second's pause, then continued eagerly. All this puts me into the very middle of a story that I meant should begin at the beginning, and that I thought would be a long one. It isn't, it's very short. I'm the little dog. I fled to him, and he opened his arms and enfolded me. He is Christ, and I am Christ's. What was a woman like Eureka to say to this? She tried to make the kind of reply that ought to be made. She said that she was glad, but the words had a strange sound even to her ears. Of course she was glad, she assured herself. And yet, his story had put a sort of barrier between them. She was a woman who had learned many Bible verses in her childhood. The words that memory flashed at her just then were, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed. Suddenly Burnham interrupted what must have sounded to him like platitudes. I've something else to tell you. Shall we sit here, or would you rather walk? They had been walking rapidly, and were near a rustic seat by the shore. For answer, Eureka sat down. She felt that she had no strength to spare for walking. It was coming, what she had been for so long expecting. It is something about which I have been for some time intending to talk with you, he said, taking a seat beside her. In fact, I have been rather expecting to have you talk to me. He laughed as he spoke, but Eureka felt a wave of indignation. Had he expected her to propose to him outright? He was evidently waiting for her to speak, but she let him wait. Then he burst forth impetuously. Eureka, I need your help. I feel sure you can help me as no one else can. That surprised and touched her. Despite the marvelous change that he thought had come to him, he did not count her out. He even believed that she could be of service. I will help you all I can, she said, and her voice rang true. But you must show me how. I knew you would, he said gratefully. 
I knew you would understand as none of the others can, except, of course, my mother. She has been more than I could have hoped, but these things must be very hard on mothers just at first. What was he talking about? She is such a lonely little girl, he began again. She really has nobody in all the world but me, and I want you to be to her, well, everything that a woman, especially a young woman, can, you know. Assuredly, she did not know. She forced herself to question. Are you speaking of she said inquiringly, and stopped. Why, of Hazel, of course. It could be no one else. I am sure I have shown you all plainly enough what I meant. Then she found her voice. Just what do you mean, Burnham? I confess that I do not understand. He looked at her as one bewildered. You, too, he said. Do you mean it, Eureka? What could I mean but that I am going to make Hazel Harris my wife just as soon as I can? She could not help her lip curling a little as she spoke with spirit. You might have meant much less than that for all that any of us could know. Remember that you have been on terms of intimacy with lonely little girls before. Never, he said positively, not in this way. Oh, I have been a fool, if that is what you mean. I have raved over girls to you and mother, and ran after them. I don't excuse myself. I have been an unmitigated fool. But I never for five seconds thought of marrying one of them, and they knew it. I never spoke a word of love to any other girl in my life, or tried to make her think by my actions that I loved her. I was with them just as I have been with you. Only you and I are closer friends than any of them ever were, and imagine people misunderstanding our friendship. Uppermost in Eureka's heart at that moment was the hope that he would never by any chance discover how utterly she had misunderstood. He went on eagerly. Those friendships were long ago, anyhow. They seem ages ago to me. Since you and I have been close friends, chums, you know, I haven't cared for any other friendships, and I never loved any woman in my life except mother until I met Hazel. They talked long, sitting there until darkness gathered, and after that walking slowly down the nearly deserted avenue toward the hotel. He told her of his hopes and plans, not fully matured, but glowing before him in the hazy distance. Of what he wanted her to say to people who needed to know things, and to decline to say to those who had no right to ask, and above all, to be to Hazel just the shield and escape and help that a young girl needed. As if you were her sister, you know, the child never had a sister. Eureka listened and questioned and promised, entering into the spirit of his mood as best she could, and apparently to his entire satisfaction. Arrived at the hotel, she went straight to Mrs. Roberts, who was standing in the doorway of her own room, and bending, kissed her lovingly as she whispered, "'Aunt Flossie, I want to be the first to congratulate you.' Mrs. Roberts reached up to return the kiss, speaking quickly. "'Oh, has he told you? You kept his secret well, dear. I did not know. I did not dream of any such thing.' And Eureka, who knew what this mother had feared, felt that the joy of discovering her fear to be mistaken swallowed up some of the mother-ache over the certainty that she was never again to be the first in her son's life. 
There was still Hazel to be met, and the girl dreaded it. What was the first thing to be said to her? It arranged itself. She was flying along the hall, getting to the privacy of her own room, for her mother was still lingering below stairs with a group of friends, when she came face to face with the girl and her lover. "'Eureka!' he called as she was passing them. "'Wait! Come back! I am just telling Hazel that you are the first, the very first one, to be told our secret, and the only one to whom I shall volunteer confidences.' Something must be said, and Eureka had no words. She bent and kissed the girl on both glowing cheeks, then put both arms about her, lovingly, and kissed her again. "'There,' she said, "'tomorrow I'll say words,' and fled. She heard Burnham's joyous laugh. He was satisfied. At last, in her room alone with the door locked, she tossed off her wrap, pushed the window higher, and said aloud, deliberately, "'Hazel Harris Roberts. It sounds better than the other.' And the uppermost feeling in the heart of this young girl was relief. She had escaped the consequences of her own decisions. Blessed are those who, having made solemn decisions without other guidance than their own, escape from their consequences in time. The next few days proved to be some of the strangest, the busiest, and in certain respects the most eventful of Eureka Harrison's checkered life. Among other things, she found herself the very centre of the not-small circle of friends that had been shaken to its centre by the announcement of Burnham Roberts's engagement. Those who had looked upon it as a settled matter that he was to marry Eureka Harrison were amazed at discovering her to be the closest confidential friend, not only of himself, but of the lady of his choice. From being looked upon by certain ones with disfavor, as a girl who was carrying a very doubtful friendship to an extreme that she must know would make unpleasant gossip and cause discomfort to her friends, and by others as a foolish young woman who refused to be counseled, and was heaping to herself unhappiness that they were free to declare she would richly deserve, she became the hopeful subject of all sorts of information that they were eager to secure, and was expected to join in the outburst of laughter at their own expense. Notably did her brother Neil indulge in merriment and congratulation. "'If you aren't the slyest puss, I thought I knew you, but I give it up. We never dreamed of such a thing. Why couldn't you have given a fellow a hint when I was lecturing you that day for all I was worth?' Eureka, as she listened and smiled, and made what reply she could, rejoiced that neither Neil nor his wife would ever have to know why she had given him no hint. One of her unique experiences grew out of what she called a family tryout. The scheme was Burnham's own. "'Don't you think I am right, Eureka?' he had called, as she was passing the corner where he and Hazel stood talking. I'm insisting that this child should explain matters to her aunt before I call upon her formally. It isn't the thing to spring a fellow upon her without any warning, now is it? She may not even know of my existence. But I don't know how to do it, was Hazel's shamefaced response. There is no chance in that cottage to see Aunt Sarah alone for a moment. If I could get her away somewhere... Burnham caught at the words. All right, let's get her away. We'll go out for a drive. Let's go this afternoon. 
There's a splendid new turnout at the stables that I'd like an excuse for trying. We'll bring up at the Thompson House in Mayville in time for dinner. I'll phone them right away to give us a separate table. It's a capital place to dine. Stebbins and I have tried it several times. Never found better service anywhere. Let's see, there'll be five of us. Mother and Eureka and your aunt besides you and me. Eureka's protest that she was not needed, and would be one too many, was promptly overruled. Hazel was already learning to depend upon her in emergencies, and Burnham explained that the liveryman would be deeply grieved. Part of the charm of the new outfit lay in the fact that the seats had been planned for three occupants. In undertone he added, "'I want you along to sustain my mother.' It is doubtful if even Hazel appreciated the flutter of satisfaction in which her aunt made ready for that eventful drive. She did not fail to make careful explanations to her neighbor, Mrs. Adams, as they lunched together at the Arlington. "'I can't be at the five o'clock lecture. I'm going to drive with Mrs. Evan Roberts.' "'Oh, yes, my niece is still with her. They think the world of her.' I told her last week that the next thing I knew she would be deserting us altogether and going to live with them. Little did Mrs. Bradford imagine how true were the words spoken in sarcasm. The stream of information flowed on. My daughters will have to eat their dinner in solitude tonight. We are to dine at the Thompson House in Mayville. Have you heard what a very fine house that is? Really exceptional, I am told but I suppose dining there is just a little device for giving dear Mrs. Roberts and myself a quiet hour together. We live in such a whirl here that there is really no time for social functions. Apparently, however, Burnham Roberts was not planning for that quiet hour. He seated Hazel in the back seat beside his mother, and placed Mrs. Bradford in front with Eureka and himself and those two, both of them adepts at entertaining others when they chose, exerted themselves to the utmost to give the good lady a happy afternoon. When, after a delightful drive along the lake front, they finally drew up before the Thompson house, Mrs. Bradford's eyes were bright and there was a becoming color in her somewhat jaded face. She had never in her life before rode in so fine a turnout, nor been so charmingly deferred to and entertained. It was after the excellent dinner was concluded, and they had gone to the veranda to view the sunset, that Hazel called her aunt to the farther end of it to look at an ambitious vine which was climbing to the second story, and forgetting it entirely when they reached it, began breathlessly. "'Aunt Sarah, I have something to tell you that I think will surprise you very much. I have promised—that is, I—Aunt Sarah, I am engaged to be married.' "'The idea!' said Mrs. Bradford, startled out of her eagerness to make quick work with the vine, and get back to Mrs. Roberts. "'What do you mean? Whom have you found so soon that you think wants to marry you? Child, you are too young to talk about such things. What do you suppose your uncle would say to such nonsense? Do they know, I mean the Robertses, what you are up to?' "'Yes,' said Hazel, with a nervous little laugh. Oh, yes, they know. And what do they say? Do they know him, the fellow, and is he decent? Aunt Sarah! Well, such questions have to be asked, I can tell you, if there's anything to it. 
your uncle will never in the world consent to your marrying some worthless fool of a boy who can't support a wife. What's his name? Where does he live? Aunt Sarah, it is Mr. Roberts. What? Who is? You don't say he's got the same name as the family. Is he their hired man? What are you talking about, anyway? Why can't you tell a straight story? It is Mr. Roberts himself, Aunt Sarah, Mr. Burnham Roberts, the one who brought us out here today. But at this point the look on her aunt's face was too much for Hazel. She broke into hysterical laughter, and was very near to tears, and summoned Eureka with a beseeching gesture to her side. End of chapter 26